All right, there it is, now it's on. How's everybody doing? Good. Man, well, I am very, very excited to be with you guys today. Thank you for having me. Uh, it really is an incredible honor uh, just to be here. And uh, Steve called me a few weeks ago and asked if I would come do this, and, and I thought he had the wrong number. And, um, and then I kept thinking after that he was going to figure out what he had done and call me back. And even driving down here this morning, I kept going, any minute, any, any minute. But uh, for whatever reason, God has me here, and, and I'm, I'm just really, really grateful. And I, I'm, I'm joking about it, but uh, the, the truth is that I just feel very humbled uh, to be able to be here and speaking to all of you guys today. Uh, and I appreciate uh, the invitation. Steve and Jackie, thank you so much. And uh, there's so many people here. I've loved uh, the Marichis for so long and just respected them for so long. It's just great to uh, be able to work together in so many ways. Uh, and then, uh, obviously, Reuben, uh, well, maybe not obviously, but obviously to me, Reuben is one of the greatest people in the entire world. And uh, Reuben's the kind of guy, Reuben and I have been friends for a long time, and Reuben's the kind of guy that gets to know you really well, and then he still likes you. <laughs> and uh, I'm, I've just always been so impressed by that, because I'm just so grateful, because Reuben likes me. And uh, Ruben, no, I mean, I, he's seen the worst of me. He's heard the worst things that I have said and thought and felt. And he just kind of laughs. He goes, you're crazy. You know what I mean? Has everybody ever heard that? You're crazy. Yeah. Yeah. You're crazy. Cra I mean, just, but, uh, but I, I just appreciate that. It's just, it's great to be, uh, you know, just have a friend like that. And uh, hopefully you have a friend like that. You have somebody in your life that is really encouraging you and helping you that way. So, um, so today, I'm just so excited. I, would, I, I had so many things that I want to talk to you about. And so um, they, they gave me a certain time limit, and I'm assuming that's more of a suggestion. And uh, uh, so, but I, I'm only here once, and I, I'm not planning on getting asked back. So I'm just going to go for it uh, today. We're going to do as, I'm just going to do as much as we can. I, I really am excited about this. But this is my family. I wanted to show you my family. Uh, Trace and I have been married, as Steve said, for 25 years, which still is bizarre to me. And uh, got, got very lucky marrying her. Actually, the first words I ever said to Tracy were, marry me. And I saw her walking down the hall at school one morning and was just completely captivated and asked her to marry me. We were not Christians yet. Uh, at that point, we, we were married for three years before we actually met Jesus. And so, uh, but she did. She agreed to marry me, which was cool. So we have our two uh, older kids. Jail, my daughter, is a sophomore at Pepperdine right now. And uh, she is, woo, Pepperdine, love you guys. And uh, she is actually in Argentina. She's doing her spring semester in Buenos Aires, which that's really cool and exciting and freaking me out all at the same time. Uh, and then uh, Jonathan is my 16-year-old son. And uh, Jonathan got baptized about a year ago. And uh, so that's so cool just to have, uh, you know, you see, start to see your kids becoming Christians. So parents, parents, and if you have younger kids, let me just tell you, it, this is the greatest thing that you will do with your life is making your Christian life so real and so vibrant that your kids want to imitate you. And the only way that you can do that is by living it out and by being on your knees and by asking God to help you. You cannot do that just by telling them what to do. You cannot do that just by trying to enforce things and making them have a quiet time, making them read the Bible. You have to be excited about Jesus and excited about living for him. And if you are, then your kids will turn to God as they discover their need for him. So now, that's a whole other sermon. That was free. So, um, but we're going on. Now, these, these younger two, these are uh, my younger kids. Jacob is now 13, and Brooklyn is 9. And uh, we adopted them almost four years ago. And uh, they're just incredible kids and have changed our life uh, tremendously and drastically and in every other way. And uh, it's, it's really been great uh, just to have them in our life and see them growing. So, my life and my family is, uh, we, we tend to be... Trace and I tend to be really kind of crazy. Like, we, we do a lot of things just because they should be done, and we feel like it should be done. Let, let's do it. And then later, we st stop to ask if we really should have been the ones doing it, and uh, if we really have time, and if we really can. But we just kind of live like, you know what, we're going we're gonna to go for it, and we're going we're gonna to do something. And so it gets us into a lot of fascinating situations. And... Uh, um, but, but we love that. So, uh, you know, we've done, we've gotten to help out with youth camp and teen camp for the last almost 10 years. And uh, so where are the teens in here? Anybody? Do I have any teens? Okay, good. There you are. So 
I know where you guys are. Okay, that's good. So, and I've loved it, but I love getting to see our kids come up through youth camp. And they come into youth camp, and they're excited, and we get in the amphitheater, and we jump up and down, and there's dust everywhere, and nobody can breathe, but it's awesome, right? It's awesome, and uh, uh, you, we, we have such a good time worshiping God there together, and, it's, and then, then they come into teen camp, and uh, Reuben, Reuben leads teen camp. Even when he doesn't lead teen camp, he still is leading teen camp, and uh, he's trying to be out right now, right, but he's still totally involved in making all the decisions, and uh, we all pretend that he's not, you know, but he's still there, so that, that's just how it is. But anyhow, my point is that there's nothing like getting to do awesome and fun things for God. And living your life like that. Wanted to show you this picture right now. This brother, uh, this guy in the middle night, his name is Isaac Zubia, and he's a senior in high school, and he got baptized on Friday night. And uh, which is really cool, absolutely. And uh, the reason that I wanted to show you Isaac's picture is because I got so moved this week. I had one of those really just kind of, I don't know, watershed moments when we were studying the Bible with him and counting the cost. And we turned over to Luke chapter 14, and many of you probably know that passage, and it says, large crowds were traveling with Jesus, and turning to them, he said, uh, you know, you've got to deny your, your, yourself and take up your cross, you've got to count the cost, two kings, and all that stuff. You know that passage, right? Some of you know that, okay? And if you don't, it's this great passage where Jesus is telling people about what it means to really follow him. And so I'm sitting down in this circle with Isaac, who is a senior, and who several months ago was really despairing of life. He was depressed. He didn't, he didn't know if he wanted to go on. There were issues that, that were going on in his family and some other things uh, uh, with, in his background that had come up. And he, he had hit a wall and he didn't know if he wanted to keep going. Then all of a sudden he realized the message of the cross and the message of Jesus. And it moved him and it changed him. And then we were sitting down and we're talking about Jesus. And then we turn over to Acts chapter 2 and we start talking about, this is so cool. I got to tell you about what happened in Acts chapter 2. I love to explain Acts chapter 2 to somebody who's never heard it before. Just to tell the story. Because what happened is Jesus goes back up to heaven, right? And he tells his guys before he goes up, go back to Jerusalem and just wait there because something amazing is going to happen. And so they go back to Jerusalem and then they're waiting there for something amazing to happen. And then guess what? Something amazing happens. It's so cool. And this, I mean, they're there and they start speaking in other languages and there's tongues of fire, which I have no idea what that means, but it's fascinating to think about. And they're saying all this stuff and then Peter preaches this great message and 3,000 people. Get, so I'm, I'm sharing this, this whole story with him. And it just hit me that for the last 2,000 some odd years, there have been groups of people that will sit down with someone and they'll go, I got to tell you about Jesus. I got to tell you what this man did. And it just got me so excited because, you know, sometimes we can get into this thing where it's about church and what's going on with church. And then how is this church doing it? And what is that church doing? And what is everything else happening? And all these different things go on. And then how are we living our American life? And, and what's happening here? Because I got my gym membership and then I volunteer in some other areas too. And then I, then I have my church membership where I place membership at this church. And so it's like a part of our life, like church is a part of our American life. But it's not supposed to be that, like that. It's supposed to be... The whole thing. This is it. Jesus is it. Jesus is everything. This man that came from God, he was God, and he came down here and he lived this incredible life. And then he gave himself up for us. Like there was a debt that we had to pay to God because of the sins that we have committed, the way that we've turned from him. And Jesus then stepped into that and he said, I want to become the sacrifice for you and I will take the punishment for you. And then... He was killed. He, was, he died on the cross. But then God brought him back to life because death could not keep its hold on him. And so he came back to life and he still lives. He is still living today. And now we get to follow him and we get to be a part of that. That's absolutely the greatest thing in the world, right? And it's so cool to be able to think about this because this is, I mean, good grief, that's just the whole thing. And that's what pulls us out of this little perspective of what's going on and the, uh, you know, the, the HOA things that are going on, you know, the, the, the homeowners association. And then I got to deal with taxes. Anyhow, taxes are coming up, right? And maybe I don't like my job. Maybe I do like my job. Maybe I'm going to drive for Uber. You know what? I'm sick of this. I'm going to drive for, I'm getting out of here, you know? And, and you're just messing with people. You're just irritated at people. And the guy in the line in front of you at Starbucks, you ever notice the people that they get to the front of the line at Starbucks and then decide what they want to have? <laughs> Weren't we just in here for 10 minutes? Couldn't you have thought? 
here, people, is Starbucks. Caffeine is on the line, right? We need to, we got to get moving here. But there's all these things that we deal with, like all these things that we deal with in our daily life, and we forget. We forget about Jesus, and we forget about the cross, and we forget about this amazing grace that he gives us, and this incredible new life that we get to have when we choose to follow him. And we forget that every moment when we get up now, we get to live for God, and we get to do amazing things for him. So I... All of that, I just was thinking about that as I was driving down here today and coming into this, like, this is so cool. Because while I was studying the Bible with Isaac on Wednesday night, I know that some of you were sitting down with your friends studying the Bible with them. And you were helping them learn about Jesus. And some of the people that you're studying with are having a difficult time letting go of some of their sins and letting go of some of the stuff that is there. And really come, but you're praying for them. Maybe you're fasting for them. If you're not, maybe you should be. I'm serious because like this is, this is life or death stuff that we're talking about here. This is this incredible gift that God wants to give people. And you have it. And you can help somebody see it. And you need to be doing everything that you can to help somebody get that. So what are you going to do with all that? And so all of that comes into this. And then, then what are we doing today? Why am I here today? Well, I got invited here today because... There are incredible things that happen within our family of churches. We have an amazing family of churches. And if you're a guest with us today, and maybe somebody invited you here for the first time, come back next week because they'll have somebody good that is preaching and you'll enjoy it. But for today, I wanted to tell you, this is what we do with our, with our family of churches. We, we, radic we believe radically in spreading the gospel all around the world. And we're trying to help plant as many churches as possible and reach as many people as possible. And it is, let me tell you something, it is challenging to be able to do that. You know why? Because we're selfish. Honestly, that, that's what it is. And we get distracted. And we're in the spiritual battle. There's a huge battle that is going on for our lives all the time. And every time I get excited about something, then the next moment I get distracted by something else. And it's, I'm always trying to figure out how do I stay engaged with this and how do I stay where I need to be? And so, what, one of the things that we do is, is our churches that are in the first world, and by the way, if you don't know, you are in the first world, okay? You are rich. You are rich people. The problems that you have are rich people problems, okay? You have great lives and great things that go on, and even when the guy in front of you in Starbucks takes a minute, that's a rich person problem right there, okay? So you don't have some of the problems that other people in the world have. And so what we do here in the first world is we try to keep that perspective all the time. I have rich people problems. I'm in the first world. I want to do what I can to help spread the gospel in other places of the world. And what do we have that we can give to help other people do that? One of the things that we have is our financial resources. Okay, so spoiler alert. I'm going to talk to you a little bit about money today. Actually, not a lot. I'm not going to talk to you a lot about money. So now you can relax. I got you all worried, and now, now you can relax. So take a deep breath. Let it out. Okay. All right. So, but one of the things that we do as our churches is every year we take up a missions offering that we send to churches that are in other places in the world so that we can help them be able to spread the gospel and do what they do. And I was reading uh, this week in Isaiah and I came across this passage and it actually made me think of you. I was praying, God, what do you want me to share? And I, I found this passage in Isaiah chapter 25, and it says, For you have been a stronghold to the poor, a stronghold to the needy in his distress, a shelter from the storm, and a shade from the heat. And let me say something to those of you that are in this church, that have been in this church for a number of years, and that have consistently given and faithfully given. You have been a stronghold to the poor. The coastal L.A. region, this group of people right here, have been incredible, consistent examples in your generosity year after year after year. And I am so grateful for that. I am so grateful for you. And uh, you guys, uh, some of you may know, uh, like some, some of the money that you give for missions goes to the Middle East, where obviously we are in dire need of spreading the gospel in the Middle East. The truth about Jesus. And then other parts of your, of your offering goes to Mexico and to Central America. And we are in dire need of spreading the gospel in Mexico and Central America. And there are many of you here that come from Mexico and Central America. And you know what I'm talking about. You know the kind of lives that are led there. You know the challenges that go on in your countries there. You know the things that are so difficult and so disheartening. 
But what is so amazing is that this group has consistently given. Now, I sit on the board of directors for the Mexico and Central American Mission Society, and that means that when different churches give their money to help go to Mexico and Central America, I get to sit on that board and help figure out where is all that money going to go and how do we best need, need to use it. Luis Catonio is on that board with me, which is awesome. He's amazing, by the way. He's a good guy. And so we, we get to sit down and kind of figure that out. And one of the things that we, that we, we never worry about the coastal LA, LA region. Are they going to be generous? Are they going to be able to give uh, you know, what we're hoping that they will give this year? Because we know that you always do. There is a great habit and a discipline of generosity in this church, which I'm so, I really am, I'm so grateful for. But here's what I want to talk to you about today, is that, you know what, sometimes it is easy for you to do something that becomes a habit. Those of you that have maybe been tithing for a long time, you got a conviction about tithing when you were a young Christian, and now you just tithe all the time, but, and, and now it's not even really a sacrifice for you, it doesn't, it's just a habit for you. Yeah, I give to God, I, I give to God all the time, but that's not generosity, that's habit. And sometimes we can even do that as a church. We can just have a situation where it's not necessarily generosity, but it's habit that, that we're, where we're giving. And so, man, I got so much to talk about. Okay, so here's, here's what I wanted to kind of to, to share with you uh, today, is that I believe that God could be calling you to become creative and passionate about your generosity as a church. Now think about that for a second. Now, you give and you are consistent and you're generous. That's awesome. What else could God be wanting to do with you? Isaiah was a prophet that was prophesying to the nation of Israel uh, and kind of when they were dealing with a lot of their captivity and these different things were coming up. And Isaiah, God had told Isaiah, you need to go out and you need to tell everybody to follow me and turn from their idols and follow me. And Isaiah was like, I will. And he went out and he did it and he was telling everybody. But then you know what? He got tired. Have you ever gotten tired of doing the right thing? Have you ever done the right thing over and over and over and over? And then you're just like, I am just stinking tired of this. I don't want to do this anymore. It's hard to do the right thing sometimes when you're not seeing a lot of results. Have you ever done the right thing? And you think, I just did the right thing. The appropriate result would be this. And here's the appropriate timeline in which that result should happen. Right? I'm okay with doing the right thing as long as the results in the timeline work out in accordance with my wishes. But that takes God out of the picture. See, sometimes God has different plans, and sometimes he has a plan for you to do the right thing for a long time without there being the result that you want. But are you going to keep doing the right thing? And this is where Isaiah was. And he says this, I have labored in vain. Right? I spent my strength for nothing at all. Just mad. Just going, just God, there's no point in what I'm doing. No point. I keep trying to get ahead of my finances and what happens? Transmission goes out of my car. I keep trying to reach out to this guy at work and what happens? He never comes. I keep trying to win over my husband or my wife by the purity of my life and what happens? We still have problems in our marriage. I keep trying to apologize. It's just not working. What is going on? I have labored in vain. Now, what do you think God said in response to this? What was God's response to this? this, this when, when I get to this point, I'll tell you the kind of response that I want to hear from God. <laughs> you poor thing. Oh. Absolutely. You know, let, let, let me see if I can make life easier for you somehow. That's, that's what we want God to say, right? Let me help you out a little bit. I didn't realize I was asking you to do so much. I didn't realize it was so hard. I was distracted with things with the blizzard in the Northeast. I, I'm so sorry. What was I doing? You have done so much already. You should rest a little bit, right? That's what we want God to say to us. That's what we want God to do for us. Here's what God said in response. It is too small a thing for you to be my servant to restore the tribes of Jacob and bring back those of Israel I have kept. Okay, so now hang on just a second. So Israel's, or Isaiah's um, job, his commission, his task, his mission was to go and restore the tribes of Jacob 
and bring back those of Israel. That was what he was supposed to be doing. And he was trying. And he goes, God, it's not working. And God goes, huh. You know, maybe I don't have you doing enough. God doesn't deal with, like, how you're feeling. He doesn't feel sorry for you. God sometimes has a bigger plan for you. But he takes you to the end of your ability and the end of your limit so that you realize, I cannot do this on my own. The only way I can do this is by turning to God. And God will have to do it through me. And then he goes on and he says this, I will also... Cracks me up. Hold on, i got to go back. Look at this again. It is too small a thing for you just to deal with Israel. It's too small a thing just for you to take care of these people you were supposed to take care of. Actually, I will also make you a light for the Gentiles. Do you know who the Gentiles were? Everybody else. Isaiah had this one little nation of people he was supposed to be trying to convince, and it wasn't working. So God said, yeah, you know what, let's go to everybody. Everybody, the Gentiles and everybody. I will make you a life of the Gentiles that my salvation may reach to the ends of the earth. It is too small a thing for you sometimes to do what you're doing. What if God wants you to do something bigger? What if God wants you to do something more? What if God has something in mind that only you can do, but you can only do it if you will trust him and let him do it through you. So in uh, 2009, um, I kind of started to realize that I, was a, I, I had all these rich people problems and I didn't understand the third world. Grew up in Oklahoma, suburban white boy from Oklahoma, and I moved to California, and even in California I have rich people problems, and then we're in the ministry, and you can get this isolated with all this stuff, right? And I thought, I need to go and figure out some things. And this was the beginning of my too small journey, where God took me from my limited perspective and started giving me things to do that were so far beyond my ability that I had no way to actually pull it off. Adoption was one of those things. Like, I, we didn't plan that. It was only in, it was in 2010, and I actually was listening to somebody preach that very passage in Isaiah. That is too small a thing. And I heard God, I felt God saying three specific things that he wanted me to do. I wrote them down. They're circled in my journal. I still have that journal. And two of them I've done. One of them is still left undone, in it, and I, I keep thinking about it. God hasn't said move on it yet, but it's still there for me. But anyhow, one of them was to really engage our church in the mission work in El Salvador. So in 2009, back up a little bit, I decided I wanted to take my family to El Salvador. We've been given all this money for years and years and years to support the mission work in Mexico and Central America. I'd never been. Now, shouldn't there be someone else who could go, somebody that speaks... Espanol, I don't, you know what I mean? Like, could somebody else do this? But I went, I took my family, I was like, I'm gonna go. And it just worked out that El Salvador is the place because Josue and Veronica Ortega had just moved there. They'd been leading the church in Mexico City for many years. They'd come to LA for a year, then they moved to El Salvador. And it was a small church of about 70 people at that time. Now, just as, so you know, in the last six years, it's doubled in size, which is really, really inspiring. And they're healthy and they're growing, it's really cool. But so we went there in 2009, and we we're just like, okay, what do we do? We didn't know. We didn't know what to do. Because sometimes you go somewhere and you think as an American that we got to go and we got to do something. We got to fix something. We got to build something. We got to, you know, give something. We got to do something, you know. And uh, so we went and I, we didn't know what to do, but we, we were just there. And we took, there's a group of about 10 of us that, whisked, that went and we were like, hi. <laughs> and that was pretty much it. And we came back, and it was just, but something changed. Something shifted in my heart, and I started getting excited about it. Now, if you don't know Central America very well, El Salvador is this little country right there, the little brown one, and it's got um, about 6 million people in it, okay? Now, El Salvador went through a horrible civil war back in the 80s, and it was really, really intense, and there was a huge influx of Salvadorans that came to L.A. primarily. They, call, there's, they, they don't have states in El Salvador. They have departments, and, uh, and they, they call L.A., uh, like their, their other department <laughs> because there's so many Salvadorans. Do we have any Salvadorans here? Yes, there's my people. Okay, love you guys. Yes, so, um, but, but it, was, it was really, really interesting because you had the government who was kind of on the right of the political spectrum and even was supported by the U.S. government and then you had uh, the, the, the rebels and the guerrillas on the left who were fighting against one another and so they, they ended up with, with this ceasefire but there were some horrible atrocities that were done uh, in El Salvador throughout that time. 
and uh, just some uh, uh, just terrible, horrible things. Now, in our group that went, on, uh, we had people, um, I had two women whose either their brother or their uncle had been killed by the government during the war. And they had escaped. I mean, they, these stories are amazing, but they had escaped and come to the U.S., and that was the first time they both went back. And they, they, were, they were coming back in, and here, here they were coming back to their country. One of them left when she was five, and the other when she was 17. And she got to go back and walk back into her country and be able to see this. Now, I started to re ask questions and figure things out in the church in El Salvador. There are people from the right and that are government supporters, and then there, then there are people from the left. Now, the left, the guerrilla movement, has over the last 20 years kind of become a viable political party, and in 2009 had just elected their first president from that political party. So, I mean, it's fascinating things, and the, the, the politics of everything that's going on in El Salvador is fascinating, but in the church, you have people on both sides of this. And in fact, one, one of our uh, um, great friends there, her name is uh, Laura Rodas, her husband had gotten assassinated just a few years earlier because he was uh, rising up in the government there. And then she came to LA to be with her sister uh, up in um, uh, Shoreline, and uh, she became a Christian here. And then she moved back there, and now she's gotten married again, and her and her husband are a great part of the church. But they're, they're definitely from this side, and then you have people who are from this side, and in fact, one of our members whose uh, uncle had gotten killed by the government was staying with Laura in her house. And it's just fascinating to me because in the kingdom of God, there is no Jew or Gentile or slave or free, anything else. We are all one because of the blood of Christ. Now, one of the things that we end up talking about, every time I go to El Salvador, I'll, I will speak about conflict resolution. It's funny, every time I, in Turning Point, every time I preach, I'm talking about conflict resolution. You know why? We have a lot of conflict in the church. It's hard to get along. You people irritate me. You know what I mean? It's just... Yes. <laughs> yeah. And, and that, that's how we are. I mean, because you know, be honest, you're irritated with someone else in this room. Just be honest. Don't point them out. Don't look at them. Take a breath. Hang on a second. Okay. We have to deal with conflict resolution. So let me tell you something. When I'm preaching in El Salvador, we're talking about conflict resolution, forgiveness, prejudice. Civil war was only 20 years ago there. What do you think it was like in America 20 years after the civil war here? What kind of scars do you think were going on in people's psyche here? So there's all kinds of needs that are there in El Salvador. So anyhow, i got to move on. So the, the church in El Salvador, they have a school that they help. That is their hope project. They go out to the school in the rural area, and they, and they help with this school. Now, on the grounds of this school, in the Civil War, it had been a government uh, con or POW camp. And when they would kill their prisoners, they dug a hole in the ground, and they dumped the bodies in there. And then when the war was over, they just kind of uh, filled it in and built bathrooms for the school over that hole. Now, you tell me that doesn't mess with somebody's psyche, right? And so the first trip when we were there in 2009, I was blown away by this. I couldn't under, I, are you serious? That's, and so we were at this school, and they're telling me about the bathrooms that are right there. And there are holes in the ground, and they were worried that it was going to start. It wasn't built well, so it was going to dig in. I was just, you know, I mean, just that, that I, I don't know how to process that. And so I came back to the turning point, and the next Sunday I got up and I told them, I was like, guys, can we do something about this? Does anybody want to give any money to do this? The next week, we, we took up, oh, I got to go back, hang on. The, ne the next week, we took up a, a, a contribution of over $12,000 and sent that to them within two weeks so that they could build new bathrooms. And, uh, it's, I mean, absolutely cool. I'm just going to, this is, I was going to tell you about the homicide rate in El Salvador. It's the highest in the world right now. It's 104 ver uh, uh, homicides per 100,000 people. 2015, over 6,000 murders. It's a 70% increase. There are murders happening there almost every hour of every day. And it's because of the gangs, because when, when they all came here in the 80s, a lot of them got in gangs, and then we would deport them by the plane load back. And so they, they showed up. There wasn't a gang problem before that in El Salvador. Now the gangs have taken over. It's, it's crazy. So here's a picture of the school. These are all the kids. We did a big back, backpack drive for them and took backpacks with all these school supplies for them, which was really cool. And then these are the new bathrooms at the end of their school. These are, yeah, it's really, really cool. 
They have running water. They're the nicest bathrooms in the entire community. Okay? And then there's this plaque on the wall that I love it and I look at it every time I go there because it's thanking the brothers of the International Church of Christ in El Salvador because we want them to be the ones that are getting the glory for everything that they do there. I even asked them not to put our name on the plaque, but they, they, they wouldn't. They, they wanted to make sure that the turning point was on there. I was like, I would really prefer that it's not because I don't want Turning Point and the Americans to be the ones that are coming in and doing something. I want the church in El Salvador to be the ones that are spreading the light and the gospel. We will help them do that, but I want them to be the ones shining the light in their country. So uh, this is their March 2010. We were able to put that in, which was really, really cool. Now, also in El Salvador, we started a scholarship program called Becas. And it's it's the, the, the Becas program. And so we have four kids, five kids now, who are actually going to college. It costs about $150 a month to be able to go to university there. But if we don't pay that for them, there's no way they can afford that because they're making, you know I mean, sometimes uh, $5 a day, maybe sometimes $10 a day, and they gotta make all that money to give to their family. So we've been able to find kids that are in that situation that would not be able to go to college. So we can give them a scholarship plus some money to help them get through with living expenses so that they can go to college and then be able to get a different job when they graduate. And uh, this is Kati right here. She's graduating in May. Uh, of this year, and we're super, super excited about her. She's going to be our, our first graduate. So it's just really cool to be able to do this. And so it's something that happened, like beyond our missions offering, which we still give. Beyond that, we felt like, man, we want to do more. I mean, I was, I was so inspired watching your, your MLK Day video, because that's the, that's the life of Jesus. That's how you live for Jesus. You don't just get up on Sunday and have a church service and preach about it. You get out, and you show people the love of Jesus every day. And that's what we're, all, what we're trying to do. So now, here we are in El Salvador trying to do all this. Let me see what's next. Then, so I, I've gone back, uh, I think I've taken four mission trips, uh, and then a couple other groups that we've sent that I'll tell you about in a second. And then we, we connected with Hope Worldwide, who's starting to do these community service brigades. They've done 25 community service brigades in Central America. How many of you have been on a community service brigade? Okay, go, woo! Okay, that's good, I couldn't see. Okay, so yes. Those are awesome and absolutely amazing, right? This incredible thing where you had to come in and set up a clinic and one day you're working with the poor people in the community and giving them, uh, uh, what do you call it, parasite medication and diabetes medication and high blood pressure medication and cholesterol, all these things that they need. And then the next day we set it up and we do it again for the church and so you're helping the church members to be able to do this. I mean, it's incredible what Hope is doing, guys. I love, I am so inspired by what they're doing. Walter Krakowski has been kind of spearheading this and figuring it out, and it's just the coolest thing. And you would be so excited to be able to go. I encourage you all to go. You can even go to hopewcsbrigades.org and find out when all the trips are this year. Uh, we are gonna, we, we've done it in El Salvador now for the, the last two years, and we're going to do another one in November of this year, which will be really cool. It's at the end of the Hope Singles Corps. There's going to be a Hope Singles Corps that will be in El Salvador and will end as the Community Service Brigade starts. So if you're a single and you want to go to that and kind of get it all in at the same time, this is the place for you, okay? It's going to be so cool just to be able to give and to serve in this place that is so dark. You know, our brothers and sisters in El Salvador, they, they, they talk to me a lot about, I'm like, what's it like living here? Because I don't go in thinking that, I, hey, I'm going to help you because I know a lot. I, I have no idea. Like, what, what do you do? How do you deal with this? And a lot of them, if, if they're able to buy any kind of decent phone, they also buy a little cheap flip phone. Because if they get on the buses, they take their flip phone and leave their good phone at home. Because more often than not, their phones will get stolen while they're on the bus. And the gangs will stop the buses and come on and say, you need to give me a dollar and you live. And so they all know that they need to take a dollar. And one of the brothers there was telling me, I always, he said, I, I don't take a lot of money because they would take it all. He said, but I take two dollars so that I will have a dollar. And then if there's someone on the bus who doesn't have one, I can give them a dollar. That's his reality, guys. It's not Starbucks worrying about the guy in front of us who has taken an extra long time to order his latte. He's worried about whether or not his phone is going to get stolen and whether or not someone beside him will get murdered. And yet here we are trying to figure out how do we help in this dark place. You know how we help? With our love. We help with our support. We help just by being there. 
I took this last group we went in, in, uh, in October, and we got there, and we got to the school, and it was just such a perfect picture, because one of the sisters that, that, that came with us, she was so excited, but she got off the bus uh, at the school, and she was like, okay, I want to build something. I mean, those, those were the words that came out of her mouth, which I totally understood. I was like, I know, but guess what? We're not going to. And what we do while we're here is we just sit. And you sit with the disciples, and you ask them questions, and you tell them that you love them and that you're with them. That's our whole mission on our mission trip. Now, we also go and we paint the bathrooms and we clean the school and we organize things and we get stuff going, but our primary mission is to be with these brothers and sisters and say, you are not alone and you are not forgotten. And those of you that have gone on the community service brigades, those are awesome, but I w- now I wanna challenge you to do even something more. I wanna, you guys need to go. You need to go to one of these countries, one of these churches in Mexico, one of these churches in Central America, and just be with them. And just tell them, I am here for you. What can I do for you? We don't go in and teach classes and pretend like we know how to lead a church in that kind of place. We don't. I don't. But what I do know how to do is say, you know what? God loves you. God will give you the strength to get through it, and I will pray for you. And we do that. Now, what if your family group, what if your small group decided that you were going to adopt one of these churches? What if the Long Beach Church decided we're going to adopt this church right here and we're going to start sending people to that church on a consistent basis? What if the singles ministry or one of the campus ministries said we are going to connect with this church over here and we're going to go and we're going to visit them? And is it dangerous? Yes. But it's kind of like being dangerous in LA where if you go to the wrong place at the wrong time, that was dumb. You know what I mean? And, and so if, if, you, if you're wise and, and you are smart, if you're out on your own there in Central America, that's bad, that's dumb. But if you're in a group, and actually I always hire security, or the government sometimes will give us police officers to be with us the entire time because they don't want anything to happen to you. So here's this group of little missionaries walking around and then two guys with M16s walking behind us, you know. It's really bizarre. Spreading the love of Jesus. Okay, so I got to cram everything in in five minutes. Are you ready? So here's the thing. Hope started these English as a second language programs. Brilliant. You know why? Because not, not so they can learn to speak English and talk to Americans. Because if you can speak English there, then your earning potential goes from making $200 a month to about $800 to $1,000 a month. And so Walter came up with this idea, what if we could teach English as a second language using the Bible as a curriculum, Bible-based curriculum? So not only are we teaching them English, we're, we're deepening their convictions about God. Give it to the churches for free. Train somebody to do it. And then the church can actually operate that as a business to reach out to other people. How cool is that? Because we give a lot of money to help these churches. What if we could give money that would help the churches figure out how to help themselves? Is that not brilliant? I love this idea, and it's so cool. Okay, so i got to tell you about this. Um, there's this brother named Omar, and he, he's uh, on, in, in the ministry in San Pedro Sula, Honduras. And I was there a couple years ago, and we were at a meeting, and then he was the one who was supposed to take me to the airport, which is like about an hour and a half away. We were way up in the mountain somewhere. So he was going to drive me to the airport. And so we're, we're, we're driving, and Omar speaks not a lick of English, and I speak not a lick of Spanish. I know like eight or ten words. Now, that brings up another question, like, why are you so involved with Central America if you don't speak Spanish? That's another message about my spiritual maturity and my time management, but I can't get into that. But anyhow, at one point, so, so I'm with Omar, and we're in the car, and we're trying to communicate. And, you know, sometimes you can communicate with people who speak another language. You can talk about kids or whatever or this or that. It was nothing. It was nothing. But, but we're talking, and he is driving fast, like really crazy on these back roads. And so we're talking, I'm like, okay, como es, ah, okay, oh, oh, sorry, sorry, como es, you know, I mean, just, and finally I was like, brother, I love you, is it, uh, te, te amo or te quiero, I can't remember, I don't want to say the wrong one, so I just, you're awesome, and then I, I lay my, I just laid my seat back and closed my eyes, because I did not want to see, okay? 
This is three years ago. Right after that, he started the ESL program in San Pedro Sula, and I wanted you to hear from him. Watch this. Well, ELA Church, my name is Omar Samboni. I am minister in the church in San Pedro Sula, Honduras. I have been studying English for two and a half years with the help of Hope Worldwide and their ESL program. I love learning English because I have the opportunity to communicate with other disciples and I can teach my children. I am grateful for all of the help that you have given to the churches in Mexico and Central America. Over the years, thank you so much. My family and I cannot wait to meet you all one day soon. Bye. God bless you. Isn't that cool? I love that. I love that. And Omar and I talk all the time on, uh, on Facebook. It's just so cool because he's, he's learning English. But what this means for the churches is so cool. Uh, the Orange County Church last year gave uh, a big chunk of money so that we could further develop the curriculum. And now the curriculum is totally done. And there are six different churches throughout Central America that are starting this ESL program. It's just absolutely fascinating. I got to tell you about this guy. This guy right here, um, his name is Jose Vialta. And uh, Jose uh, was converted in the Boston church. And then several years later, because of immigration reasons, had to move back to El Salvador. And when he moved back, he could not, it was at a period of time where he couldn't find the church there. So he's been there for about 10 years. He couldn't find the church there. So he just went to his village where he lived and he started uh, and, and English is a second language school. That's what he started doing, is teaching English. And through that, he started converting people. And uh, it's absolutely fascinating. So this girl on the left, she was one of his students. And then the woman in the right was her mom. And he taught them both English, and then he married the mom. And so now he's, he's got a family. I'm going to make it work. I'm going to make it happen here, right? And, uh, And so he's baptized like about 15 or 20 people uh, over the last 10 years. And then a year and a half ago, he found the church again in El Salvador and was like, oh, hey, we're over here. They're about an hour, hour and a half away. And so now they, they come in once a month. They, they bring all the disciples in and, and they're, they're, they're working out. So there's always stuff, church stuff, doctor stuff. But they're working all that out. But this guy is so faithful. I was on the bus with him and he was telling me about the gang problem and he was saying, you know what, I would say that probably 95 to 98% of the businesses here in El Salvador are now under the control of the gangs. Big and small, any kind of business. He said, they come in and they ask for rent. He said, and in fact, they, they've come into our church several times and asked for money right in the middle of a service. And he says, I look at them and I say, guys, look around. We don't have anything that we can give you. No one is giving us any money. We don't have it, but I will pray for you. And he puts his hands on them, and he prays for them, and they leave him alone. And he works in the community, and he does, uh, he's always doing uh, uh, domestic violence prevention programs and marriage counseling and parental counseling, and he's doing all these things for free in the community, and the community really respects him and loves him. And then the director of the Red Cross, right there in his village, came to him and said, can you help me with some different projects? And he said, sure. And through their conversations, the director of the Red Cross was like, so now, Wait, tell me about what you think about God, and he's now studying the Bible. This guy, is a, he just his faith is so strong and is so amazing. And in November, we were able to sit down because Hope Worldwide had gotten the money to be able to hire him to be the English as a Second Language teacher in San Salvador. And so now, once or twice a week, he comes in and teaches English as a Second Language, and now they're starting to go throughout the whole church there. I mean, I'm just blown away by this. It's so cool to be able to see this. A couple years ago, we started, five years ago, we started this thing in our church called Advent Conspiracy. And the idea was during Christmas holidays, what we would do is instead of spending more on Christmas, we would take our Christmas budget and go, let's take a part of that. Let's spend less on Christmas gifts and take a part of that and give that money to drill wells for people who don't have it. It's just another, we're just trying to figure out what is going to help people around the world. So as of last December, we had uh, the turning point of raised $65,000, drilled 18 wells and provided water for 10,000 people. And it was really, really cool. Okay, yes.
Here's a picture of all the, the, where, where all the wells are uh, in the world that, that we have drilled, which was so cool. So now, told Reuben about it, and then Reuben talked to some of, the, uh, some of the people in the Long Beach church. Actually, no, Kevin came down and spoke to Long Beach. That, that's how this happened. So Kevin talked about it when he was there. Reuben called me and said, what's the deal? I told him the deal. And then he said to the Long Beach church, hey, does anybody want to do this? You guys want to jump in with us? And I was so excited about this because this year we were going to do something different, okay? I'm going to tell you this story. Oh, there's... One of our teams that went to drill a well, can't tell you that story. There's a plaque that says Turning Point Church, woohoo. Okay, um, this guy right here, Andreas and Sarah Valencia, they were converted in Costa Rica, felt God's call five years ago to move back to their village in Malpaisio, Nicaragua. And uh, so they, they moved back to Nicaragua, this little village, uh, and actually the name of the village even kind of translates to bad land, bad water, bad area. It's not really the great place to live. Like in Oklahoma, there's a place called Sulphur Springs. Really, you know, I mean, and uh, so it's kind of it's kind of like that. They're not known for having great water. So in November, in November, I, Walter told me that they needed a, a a solution for their well for their water. They needed a well drilled there. And I said, I know people who drill wells. We do that. You know what I mean? I got so excited. We drill wells. Let's do it for them. So I came back and I told the turning point, we're going to drill a well for our sister church in Malpaisio, Nicaragua. And I told Ruben, Ruben, we're gonna do this. Do you wanna do it with us? He said, yes. And we, we've been giving like around $11,000, $12,000 a year for the last couple of years. I didn't know how it was gonna be because the quotes I'm getting now are like 15,000 to drill this well. And so I was desperately hoping we would be able to do that. Between the, the Long Beach Church and the Turning Point Church, we raised $34,000 last December. Totally cool. So Long Beach, thank you guys. Where's Long Beach? Are you guys spread out and around? Love this church. Love you guys. Thank you for doing that with us. I cannot wait to show you pictures of that well being drilled and everything that's happening. So now, here's some pictures of Mount Piceo and the church there. I can't even tell you about all that. But here's a couple things I want you to think about. When you do something without a dream, it's a waste of energy. When you do something without being passionate about what God has called you to do, it's just a waste of it. You're just doing something, but your heart is not in it. God is all about the heart. The kingdom of God is within us. Everything we do has got to be about our heart. So when we do something without dreaming, it's a waste of energy. When we dream, but then we don't do anything, that's disobedience. When we have dreams, then we don't step into that and try to see those dreams realized. That's disobedience. But doing and dreaming together is where you start to get exponential kingdom impact. I had no idea if you would have told me six years ago that we would have been able to drill uh, you know, all these wells, over 18, now 20, it'll be 24 wells by the end of this year for people and provide clean drinking water. No way. When you would have told me that I would have traveled to every country in, every country in Central America and get to know the churches and spend time with them when I don't like speak Spanish. No way, what are you talking about? When you would have told me that I would have been able to take 65 people from the turning point to go and sit with people in El Salvador and say, I love you, we are brothers. No way. But all these things started to grow. So here's my question for you. What can you do? What is God calling you to do as a church? Right now, you would say, no way. But maybe you've got a dream in your heart about doing it. The different churches... Westside Church, you guys can do amazing things. Long Beach, you guys can do amazing things. South Bay, I mean, the, the Latin, all of you. What if the, the campus ministries, what if you guys started to dream about the impact that you could have in these areas where we support it? Now, here's something I'm going to tell you. As a, as a board member for the MCA, my job is to inspire you to want to give to Mexico and Central America. And the people who are on the board of the Middle East Mission Society are supposed to inspire you and give you uh, the, the inspiration to want to give there. But you don't have to. That's not a biblical mandate. The biblical mandate is for you to be generous. The biblical mandate is for you to give what you have so that other people can be helped. The biblical mandate is for you to lay down your life so that other people can have life. Are you willing to do that? Or are you just comfortable? I write my check every year. There you go. Yeah, I did my good deed. Are you willing to do more? Are you willing to put yourself out there? Are you willing to go beyond anything that you ever thought possible and see some incredible impact happen? I love this quote. You never become truly spiritual by sitting down and wishing to become so. You must undertake something so great that you cannot accomplish it unaided. 
It has to be where Jesus is out walking on the water. You're like, Jesus, is it you? Can I come? And he's like, yeah, let's go. Let's do this. That's what he's calling you to do. So now, if I will come to you and inspire you to give to the Mexico and Central American Mission Society, believe me, we need it, and we are doing everything we can to make sure that that money is, is given and spent and helps the greatest amount of people grow in their faith, uh, meet their physical needs, and help them. And I am begging you to help us with that. But if, you, if you're not moved to do that, do something. Give to someone. Help somebody. Be generous. Go past what you think you should do and do more. Because that's how Jesus was. That's how he lived. 2 Corinthians 5, For Christ's love compels us because we are convinced that one died for all, and therefore all died. And he died for all, that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. Our life is now about Jesus. You are not an American who happens to be a Christian. You are a disciple of Jesus Christ. And your life is about him. Everything you have is about him. I don't, I, I don't want you to find one day out of the year to give a missions offering. I want you to live every day focused on helping as many people as possible here, in our neighborhoods, and then around the world where we can. We're going to take a moment right now and take communion together. This is something that Jesus commanded us to do 2,000 years ago. He said, when you get together, share this meal and remember what I did for you. Remember my sacrifice. And we take this bread and we remember his body. You take the juice and you remember his blood that he shed for you. And while we're taking it, we try to go, God, what do you want me to do? Because of your sacrifice on the cross, how should I now live? If you're a guest with us, uh, don't be freaked out by this. If you, if you don't know what to do and nobody's going to judge you, if you do take it, if you don't take it, but this is for those of us who claim to be followers of Jesus, uh, to be obedient to him and to remember him. Amen? Let's pray together. Father, thank you for giving us Jesus, for giving us this incredible man that died for our sins and gave himself up for us. Father, I thank you that you love us so much that you want this relationship with us. God, I pray that we can follow Jesus' example of being generous and dying to ourselves so that others can live. God, as we share this communion together, God, help it just to remind us of that incredible sacrifice that Jesus made for us on the cross, God. We're so grateful for him. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.